0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Between consumer desire for a more sustainable food system, growing momentum around extended producer responsibility legislation, and, of course a desire to do the right thing, many CPG manufacturers are exploring more environmentally friendly packaging. But the most ecological material isn't as clear-cut as swapping out paperboard for plastic or using reusable plastic for single-use options. A package's end-of-life must be balanced with its primary purpose to protect food and reduce waste, and competing consumer desires, such as the ability to see what's inside of the package. Likewise, EPR legislation that aims to reduce pollution by placing an added onus on manufacturers to collect and manage used packaging can have unintended consequences unless policies are carefully worded. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, we hear from stakeholders across the value chain who were gathered in Washington, D.C. last week to attend the Organic Confluences Summit, jointly hosted by the Organic Trade Association and the Organic Center. Camille Herrera, the sustainability program manager at Driscoll's, shared in a presentation how the berry producer is creatively rethinking its use of and responsibly for iconic clamshells that protect its product. Renaud de Rosiers, director of sustainability at Amy's Kitchen, also makes a case for why recyclable packaging isn't always the best solution. And others consider whether EPR is the salvation that some make it out to be. So when it comes to food packaging, plastic is among the most prevalent materials used and one of the most demonized. But while it has its faults and its production might produce more greenhouse gases than that of paperboard, it also has its benefits, which must be carefully balanced across its life cycle, something Herrera explained that Driscoll's is doing through its Sustainable Packaging Charter. In
1: 2020, Driscoll's established our Sustainable Packaging Charter. Where we're looking to balance the functionality of packaging, along with mitigating its impact on the environment, and so that's what we've used as our driving force going forward since 2020. So, what does it need for a package to be functional? What are we thinking about when we think about the functionality of a package? Well, first off, we think about the fruit that we're packing. We're packing berries, and second off, we think about our operating environment. What are the conditions under which our fruit moves through the supply chain? So one little known fact is that berries are packed in the field. So we have a really decentralized uh, supply chain relative to some other fruits. And when we think about food safety, Driscoll's is uh, packaging material agnostic. We're really thinking about the food safety and then food quality of our product. So when it comes to berries, um, they're really delicate. They're highly susceptible whether that's bruising, whether that's actually puncturing the berry and you get uh, juice leaking, or whether that's full-on just squashing the berry, compression damage. Um, and then when you have damaged fruit, then people don't want to buy it, and that leads to fruit waste. The second up, throughout our supply chain, berries are highly sensitive to temperature and moisture. So too much moisture, berries will mold, too little moisture, and they're going to desiccate. Temperature's too high, like most fruits, they're going to spoil much faster. And so how did the PET clamshell become the berry clamshell that we see all around North America today? Um, and I am saying PET very deliberately, because pretty much the of packaging is that people judge fruit quality with their eyes. When they're in the produce department, they're using their eyes to decide what to buy. And so this allows for really good consumer experience in that terms. And then another little known fact about PET clamshells for berries is that they contain some of the highest percent of recycled content Of any food packaged natural resources, it reduces our greenhouse gas emissions, and it
0: saves money. Just because clamshells have been the go to for Driscoll's doesn't mean the company isn't open to other alternatives. Herrera explains that the second prong of the company's sustainable packaging charter is replace, and this includes discovering and testing alternative packaging formats. Among the many options that Driscoll has considered is paperboard. But as Herrera explains, it has fallen short of some expectations so far, at least for fragile berries.
1: Paper doesn't act like plastic. Uh, it's susceptible to moisture. Moisture reduces the structural integrity, and that's when you get that kind of damage that leads to uh, fruit, fruit damage and uh, low, less people wanting to buy it. And then the other uh, challenge is, is nobody's ever done this before. Just as us pay a up to the supply and say, hey, for very berries, they are also testing and iterating and learning right alongside us. So there's no national supply chain for a fiber-based package for berries today, and that doesn't mean there won't be in the future. It's just taking a long time to develop the right processes. Um, and again, we don't want to have uh, regrettable
0: substitution. Even if paperboard packaging is created in a way that adequately protects berries, it conflicts with other consumer desires, mainly the ability to see the fruit from all sides, which can lead to a drop in sales and an increase in waste. While Driscoll's continues to explore and innovate sustainable packaging options for the long term, Herrera explained that it also is taking short-term actions under a sustainable packaging charter by stepping up the recovery and rate of recycling for its current packaging through its clamshell to clamshell recycling initiative, which seeks to build a post-consumer recycled PET clamshell market through increased demand. Herrera explained that after two years of pre-competitive research, Driscoll's in 2020 required its suppliers to go from 0% post-consumer recycled content from recycled PET clamshells to 10% by the end of the year, which it successfully achieved. The next goal is to include 25% post-consumer clamshells in new clamshells by 2025. And while the company is well on its way, Herrera explains there are forces it can control and those that it can't. And to succeed, four elements must coexist.
1: (laughs) Is recyclable today, right now. We've been doing this for decades. Um, so why haven't PT clamshells been recycled the same way as PT bottles? There's a couple different reasons. And the way that Dr. Still thinks about this is we'd like to think about what's in our control versus what's out of our control, but within our influence. And so what's tech, what's in our control is material choice and best design practice. That's in our control. We can choose to do that today. What's out of our control out of our control is the entire Reverse supply chain, for recycling. So there's four things that you need to have a really good, really high recycling rate. You need collection, right? Where is the stuff being collected? Is it residential? Is it drop off? You need sortation, right? You have to have um, the different products be sort- sorted as needed. Then you need processing, right? Who's actually turning this recycled material into feedstock for new material? And then um, you've got the last one is um, Policy, that's the bonus, right? You can have all those infrastructure pieces, but if you don't have good policy, you're not going to get high recycling rates. In California, PT balls are recycled over 60%. I think Oregon's well above 80% right now. So we know good policy with infrastructure is winning.
0: While boosting packaging recovering through recycling is an effective and successful option for Driscoll's, it isn't the best option for all packaged food. Amy's Kitchen Director of Sustainability, Renaud de Rozier, explained at the Organic Confluences Summit. For example, he explained that Amy's Kitchen's frozen meals are served on trays and in in bowls that are mostly fiber-based, but which need a thin-film laminate to keep from collapsing when the food is reheated or presenting a food waste or safety problem to consumers. Because these materials are not easily separated, they are not suitable for recycling. Likewise, consumers aren't always willing to clean this type of packaging sufficiently before tossing them in the recycling bin, making them unusable and resulting in a low recovery rate of about just 9%.
1: Being in the United States in the past 40 years, the the one sort of green message that has been really hammered into everybody's head is recycle, recycle, recycle all the time. So when we first started looking at this, I think the natural place to go was Let's just move to recyclability, right? Um, so so why did we not do that? Why are we pursuing this, this other channel instead? And I think the answer is worth digging into a little bit. The fact of the matter is these materials that we're talking about are just not compatible with the recycling stream, and they never will be for, for multiple reasons. There's food residue um, that makes them unsuitable for collection in municipal infrastructure.
0: In response, Amy's Kitchen is turning to plant-based compostable packaging for its trays, bowls, and food wrappers. It's also investing in infrastructure so that more municipalities can manage industrial compost. The switch to compostable may be out of reach for some companies because it's often more expensive to source and less efficient to run on existing machinery, cautioned Jason Cleaver, a business development executive at Columbia Basin Onion, who also presented at the Organic Confluences Summit. But he added all packaging has trade-offs. For example, he said, many retailers are pushing from a switch to plastic to paper bags for produce, but paper isn't as strong. So when it comes to items like potatoes, the bags drop from a standard 10 to 15 pounds to 5 pounds per bag, which in turn impacts the price per unit for consumers. So let's talk about EPR. The push towards more sustainable packaging also comes at a time when some states are proposing and passing extended producer responsibility, or product stewardship legislation, that places a shared responsibility for end-of-life product management on producers and other entities in the supply chain, instead of the general public. The goal here is to nudge packaged good manufacturers to think more critically about what happens to their packaging after it leaves their warehouses. But not all EPR language is exactly the same. One attendee described some are watered down and letting producers off the hook, while other provisions could have unintended consequences, such as potentially discouraging adoption of compostable or biodegradable materials because compliance obligations currently are overly restricted or too stringent. As such, he encouraged stakeholders to pay close attention to proposed legislation, but not necessarily blindly follow it. Rather, he advocated for working with others across the value chain for a solution that balances the needs of all players and is flexible enough to account for technological advances in the future. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment, and to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.